0: Good morning church. It's a great blessing to be here with you today. I love being home. Someone asked me recently, where have you been lately? I said, man, I'm like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. Um, Most recently, uh, I've been to beautiful Alaska. Jeremy Jeremy mentioned it earlier. We took about 230 people on a marriage retreat cruise uh, to Alaska and uh, it was fantastic as you can imagine. Uh, just seeing the beauty of it there. Just a, a short commercial. Uh, we announced on the cruise we're going to do another one uh, next year. Not to Alaska, uh, but uh, to New Orleans, to Cozumel, five-day. Uh, still a marriage retreat. We're going to have a great time together. You can actually save money if you book this week. Uh, you can call the church office or, or email Lisa at lisa.commander.com and get some information about that. A lot are going to go with us. I was so excited and proud that so many of our WFR family went with us it was really neat because we got to tell the great victory stories that we know about here. Cause we have people from literally all over the country uh, that came with us that had never met us before. And so to have, you know, our own number and our own people there with us to do ministry was fantastic. And so I'm so thankful to you that went with us, the ministry you did. I was particularly touched uh, by a post that Gordon put on Facebook because Gordon and Jan went with us and, um, Gordon said he walked outside onto the balcony and Jan was there and she was crying as she was looking out. And so Gordon, I mean, which logically makes sense, thought he had done something, which I can understand why he would think that. (laughs) But it wasn't him. You know, he said Jan was just crying because she was just looking at the beauty and the wonder that Jeremy talked about of God's creation. And she was just crying because she thought our God is so great and powerful. And we have a relationship with him. And I was really touched by that. And that's true for all of us uh, that saw Alaska. If you've never been, I hope you get there at some point in your life. And today we're going to be talking about having those experiences with God. It may be a way to have them at a more connected level. I'm very excited that I was asked to speak uh, to sort of kick off this idea about connection. Uh, to God uh, today is my topic, and it t- and it took me back, you know, when we when uh, Mike first uh, asked me about it, because I thought about when we came here, back here, in the summer of 1987, 30 years ago, it was so exciting. Ray Melton was here preaching, and uh, in those days our groups were called Bible talks because they have changed names, you know, through the. How many of you remember Bible talks? You've been around that long? All right, good. Bible talks were great, and when you got a few Bible talks together. Uh, they were pig outs because we like to eat, of course, and, uh, and we like to sing. And so those were great coming together. And, and so I was here and, and sort of, you know, back to Christianity and was just kind of, you know, learning my own ropes, I guess. And I remember Gary Stevenson, who was over our adult education at that time, he decided he wanted to use the group model for some ways to be able to train new Christians on Wednesday nights. And so we started this concept called microgroups, which I hear we're bringing back, which is awesome. So it was little bitty groups, three guys and a leader, or three gals and a leader. And basically they were new Christians, and you sort of just walk through the early steps of Christianity. But I was so thrilled because he asked me, his the first time I'd ever been asked for really to do anything, to lead one of the groups. And I was, I was scared to death because I'd never done anything like it, but I thought, you know, it's just three guys. I can't mess this up too bad, right? And what's amazing is after all the sermons I've preached here, after all the classes I've taught, after all the groups that I've led, after 30 years, I still remember the three guys in my first micro group. I mean, you think about that and the impact that that had on me. I'm I'm blessed to announce that three out of those four are still here. Unfortunately, the devil got one of them, but that's better than the parable of the sower odds. So I say community works in people's lives. It certainly worked in mine. Today we're going to look at why smaller groups rather than our larger assemblies have a way to connect us with a better experience and relationship with God. Now let me give you a disclaimer right off the bat. I'm not down on our big assemblies. I love it. I love being here this morning. I love praising God with you guys. I love feeling the spirit of a place together. I spent most of my adult life planning and executing assemblies, so I love them. But I think we can grow deeper With community groups and sharing that with one another. And so I really want to encourage you guys about group link. If you if you aren't involved in a small group or or a community group to be sure and get there and get signed up. Now, here's what we're going to talk about today. First of all, God is community. And he made us for community. It's the first thing we have to understand. This starts with the Godhead itself. In fact, the Godhead is the very the universe's first micro group. If you think about it. Now it's hard to attach the word micro to God, right? But in a sense, He did that Himself by having this group of three that created all of us. In John chapter 1, we see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we've got this unique relationship now of the Word being God and yet being with God. He was with God in the beginning, that's creation. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, who is this word? We know from verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now we know at the very beginning of the creation of the universe, we had at least two. So now we go to Genesis 1, which is the actual account of the beginning. It says in the beginning, God, we know that was the father and the son created the heavens and the earth. So everything you see in the universe and our planet and the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the wow spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So now we see there were three in this divine microgroup father, son and spirit. You know, whether you like the movie or the book or not, The Shack, some loved it, some didn't. But one of the things that really did a nice job in the book and the movie was showing the distinctness of the three parts of God. And they are very distinct in what they do and who they are. Now, John, in his defense of Jesus' coming to the earth in First John chapter 4, he uses an interest, interesting argument to show how relational God is. And I think it goes a lot to what we're talking about this morning. First John four and verse two, he said, because you know, these people and they're saying, well, you know, we we think Jesus was special and obviously he was a prophet. And, you know, he, he but there's no way he could be God if he became flesh, because God couldn't be in flesh. Flesh is inherently bad. These They're called Gnostics, but that was not true. And so John, who's calling these guys out, says this in verse two, first John, chapter four, and verse two. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Because remember, this is before the Bible. So they're saying, well, the spirit of God told me that Jesus is there's no way he could be in flesh. And so this guy, John, is saying, no, no, wait a minute. Well, you have to be able to recognize the spirit of God. And every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Pretty plain, right? Jesus came in flesh. He's God. Now here's where it relates to what we're talking about. In verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Community. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now think about that. He could have said, God is truth. God is eternal. God is law. God is righteousness. And all those things will be true. But when he described God, what did he say? Love. A community relational word. And how do we know this, John? Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God and all of his sovereignty is about community and love. That's how much he loves us. In John 1:14, in the word Jesus was life and that life was the light of men. So not only is the Godhead this first divine microgroup, but then he created us mankind to be the universe's second divine micro group because we would be like him. Genesis one twenty six. God said, let us three make man in our image. So you and I, every one of us and everybody that's ever been born on planet earth is made in the image of God. And what image is that love community, intimacy, fellowship, and you just keep adding the words. God made us for those purposes. We get the idea because of sin, which we'll talk about later, that flesh is bad, that we're bad, that all mankind is bad and that we don't have a purpose in him. It's just the opposite. He made us to be like him. We have three parts, just like God does, body, soul and spirit, our physical, our mental, emotional and our spiritual. We're just like him in that regard. And yet here's what's interesting. As great as the first man was created in the image of God. God looked down and said, you know what? He needs more. He's got to be able to continue that community. And so he said in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So what did he do? He created a community for us. And the first woman was created out of man to complete him, to begin to build community and populate the earth, to build families. Perfect intimacy, community were experienced by God's children in this great paradise. And everything was perfect until fateful choices were made. And the community was shattered because of sin. And God looked down on earth as man and woman were trying to hide from him and said, Houston, we have a problem. And he knew about it all along. So if God is community and he made us for community then what are the enemies of community? Because there are things trying to destroy us. The first enemy of community is the first guy you see, and he's not a guy, but the first being that you see that's on the earth along with man and woman, and that is a jealous fallen angel who had no provision for his own fall from grace or any of his followers. Revelation 12 sort of gives you an insight. We don't know all the details, but apparently somewhere far Before we were created, the universe was created, there was a great rebellion in heaven itself. Choices were made there. The leader of the rebellion was a being, a fallen angel known as Satan. God sent him to our planet, and he's influenced humanity from the very beginning. In Genesis 3, we saw in that perfect, idyllic situation, one choice was there, and Satan was there to make sure man and woman chose the wrong thing. That's on them. But he helped them make the decision. God has always provided a community of choice. So you say, why why would Satan do that to them and to us? Why is he still working so hard against us? Because he's jealous and he's spiteful and he's evil. He's just like anyone that lost their own way and now wants to take as many people down as he can. Just like some person that... Blows a bunch of people up. Take as many out as possible. Why would somebody do that and destroy families and community? It's pure evil. And we know from Job 1 and also 1 Peter 5, 8, that he roams to and fro, back and forth in the earth, seeking someone, some community to devour. He is our first and greatest enemy to community. The second one is sin. And that's on us, not on him. We made that choice. We can't go by the old devil made me do it. Devil laid it out there. It's a good choice, bad choice. You and I make it. It's on us. But sin brings guilt and shame and fear and distance from both the community of God and also the community of mankind. You remember the very first two humans, what did they do? They were fearful. They ran. They hid. Distance. Between them and the Creator. And then ultimately distance between them and their family. The very next thing that happened was murder, jealousy, violence. All this came about because of sin. Isolation and hiding away from community. That's the result of sin. The third enemy is one that started out to be a good thing but has become something not as good as we would like. And I call it the bigness of the institution. You know, for the first 250 years of the church after Christ left, basically because of persecution, because of difficulty, because of Jews and Romans after the early church, they pretty much had to meet on the run. In homes, kind of hiding out, there was still a lot of persecution, and yet the church was thriving. Why? Because the good news of Jesus that changes lives, even when men try to put it down, will always impact people's lives. People that understand eternity over the moment, they get it. And so the church thrived in spite of that. And you got to remember in the first 40 years, they still even had temple worship. Because until the temple was destroyed, all those early Christians, they thought, well, we're Christians, but we're also still following the Jewish faith. And then the temple was wiped out, and then that was all of that. And then it just became the church. Now, something interesting happened in 300 A.D., The Roman Emperor Constantine was converted, which is a great thing. He was, Rome, even though it was fading, was still powerful. And so here's the the leader of still the most powerful nation in the world becomes a Christian. And then all of a sudden, Christianity can come out of the closet. I mean, now it can be out there. There can be buildings. And I mean, there were some great ones built. But something also began to happen. Christianity, because now it was... Okay, at the highest levels of government was sort of a conquest mindset. In other words, you go in, you take over a country, we're going to force everybody there to become a Christian, a believer in God. Well, that was never God's choice for Christianity. Remember, this started with people having to make the choice when it was against every man made rule. Christianity is not about conquest, it's about submission and giving ourselves. We can't make people do it. God doesn't make us do it. So now it becomes more formal. There's more creeds, more councils, more ritual, more clergy over laity. Now the structure becomes a larger place where you have front to back. And as you can see, here we are now, almost 2,000 years later, still with a front to back, even when we come together. It started way back then. Not as a bad thing, not as a bad mindset. It was a good thing. Everybody was excited about it. But something was lost. Even the worship service of Jewish tradition, which is in the temple, it's sort of resurrected in this model. Because now you had just a handful of clergy, and they were serving God and serving you. But people forgot that we're supposed to be serving God and one another. That's what Jesus told us, right? So over the course of years, the idea of community got lost, for the most part. But the last hundred years have seen some changes, and I find this encouraging. In South Korea, a small group cell model church flourished to a church of almost a million people in spite of great failings by its founder. Why? Because community matters and can grow. In China, even to this day, the underground church under persecution, under illegality, is flourishing. How big is it? Nobody knows. Except for God. And it's beautiful to watch. Right here in the good old U.S. of A., we have what I call hybrid churches who understand the value of the large assembly, just like we do, but also understand the value of community groups. They will say about themselves that they are a church of small groups, not with small groups. That becomes a big difference. That defines and allows people to be discipled and to flourish as new Christians. And so for the last 30 years, us here at White's Bay Road, we have been one of those hybrid churches that still tries to bring the value of being all together and being encouraged, but not just being a front-to-back church, but a face-to-face church. Because that's where the real power of God influences you at an individual level. Now, why do I think groups energize our experience with God and our community with each other? Four reasons. Number one. Smaller groups, they focus our attention. Now, I don't know about you, but, I mean, sometimes I find it hard to maintain attention. Especially the larger the group, the harder it is to do it. you got a lot of stuff going on. It's like being, when I was back in college, I had a class of 300 people, big class. I didn't worry too much about being called on to say anything, so I didn't really come to class prepared because the odds were low that it would land on me. In fact, the instructor probably wouldn't even call on anybody. Too many people. But if you're in a class of 20, you better be ready, right? Because none of us likes to look dumb, even if we are in a situation like that, right? So it focuses our attention. We come together with intentionality. We understand that. We're going to be a part of that process. Let's face it, sometimes we can come in here and just kind of not really even be here. But that doesn't happen as easily in a smaller group. Number two. Smaller groups change the dynamic from front to back to face to face, which I believe is the best way to be nourished. Now, Jesus understood the value of a dynamic assembly, did he not? I mean, he spoke to thousands on the hillside. I mean, they were out there and I mean, some of the greatest sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, thousands of people. And we look back at those, and man, those are things we can value even to this day. But when he really wanted to get down to discipleship and preparing people for eternity and being able to lead in eternity, what did he do? He got in that 12, and he went deeper than even he did to the thousands. Not surprisingly, when everybody kind of came back from the scattering after Jesus was raised from the dead, it took a while to get into those thousands. But the 11 out of the 12 were ready to rock much quicker. Why? Because they understood the value of being together. All the years that I've been here, teaching and preaching, all those early years. I mean, I was front to back. I loved teaching. I felt like it was my gift. Bill Smith, all those guys mentored me. But you know where I was really learning how to be a man of God? In a small group with men like David Owen or Kim Bunn, Dennis Covington. Iron sharpening iron. That was helping me be the man who I was supposed to be. The same time I was trying to teach you guys about what God wants us all to be. It changes the dynamic. Number three, smaller groups provide a better opportunity for intimacy, accountability, and discipleship. In other words, it's harder to hide in a smaller group. And I speak from experience because I was a double secret agent for four years right here. I sat right over there for four years. I was here, but my heart was not here. I sang the songs. I listened to the preacher. I was at everything I was supposed to be, but my heart was hard, cold, and dark. It's easier to hide in a larger group. It doesn't mean you can't hide in a small group, but it's much harder when you're getting into life Day by day, human nature that is plagued by sinful nature would naturally rather tell a little of my life to a lot of people than a lot of my life to a little group of people. It's natural. It's human nature. Unfortunately, that comes from sinful nature, the flesh, which leads us to that mindset. And we know when we hide, we create distance from other people and from God. Now, we'll say this about WFR. We have been blessed in this area in a large sense, maybe as much as any church in the world, which is a great blessing. I think there are some reasons for that, that we've seen some openness right here in a large group of people that you rarely see. One of the reasons is I believe we were founded on a core commitment to the gospel of Christ so that we understand the gospel reaches out to all men. So you can come forward here and tell something that's terrible and awful and people will love you and say, welcome back or welcome in to the kingdom of God. We were founded on that. That's a great blessing. I thank our forefathers that helped start this church, a commitment to the gospel. We also understood a great commitment to grace in a time when grace wasn't always so prevalent, especially 30, 40, 50 years ago. We allowed people to make mistakes and love each other through it rather than think you have to be here and be perfect, which none of us are without Christ. But we also had some brave sons and daughters who were willing to come forward with some shocking things. I think about a Sunday night when Mac Owen came right over here and talked about a drug addiction that shocked everybody. And then later, some other things from his life, even Mary's, that started, helped start a great openness here at our church. I thank Mac and Mary for that every day. That was hard to do. Leadership in the church. I think about my own wife. I wasn't here, but came forward and because of her openness changed us and helped change us to know that even leadership in the church can recover from any sin, which we did and are still working on. I think about our entire eldership that came forward right here and resigned and said, we've messed up in some big ways. That's leadership. That's openness. You don't see that. In very many churches and many other individual people that have done that throughout the years I've been here. Some of the greatest blessings of my life have been right down here front with people pouring out their lives. So it's great that that's happened in this place, but I would tell you this morning, I believe it did because people first were able to share in community before they ever got to this point. That's what we've been trying to do for the last 30 years and are still trying to continue into the next 30 years. Smaller groups, number four, increase participation by everyone. They serve each other better. They offer up hospitality in a better way. There's better discussion and discipleship in the truths of God and the Bible. And it's much easier to have prayer together, which is the greatest form of communication we can have. And out loud prayer blesses everyone in every way. So I believe groups help energize our experience, which is why, of course, we're talking about this for the next three weeks to sign up. We don't want to burden you because some people say, oh, man, a group, I was a burden." We don't want to burden you. But at the same time, we want to connect you with people to allow you to carry other people's burdens and for them to carry your burdens. Isn't that what we were challenged to do? Carry the burdens of one another? How can you carry a burden you know nothing about? If you're in a place, even a place as great as this, and what you get is, hey, how's it going? Pretty good. See you next week. Is that where we're really living? We're all just pretty good, waiting on next week? If it was just up to our time together, many times that's exactly what would happen. Lisa and I made it through the hardest time in our marriage and life. Because there was a small group of people that carried us through that period of time. She and I will never forget what that felt like. To be in the worst possible place and have nothing to offer to God. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a leader? To be up front? To teach? To preach? To know you have a gift from God? And then all of a sudden, in one day, you feel like you've got nothing to offer him or anybody else. That's where I was. But a small group of people, a community, surrounded us, allowed us to talk through our situation and carried that burden with us. Now we're going on cruise ships all around the world talking about how great God can be in marriage. Is our God not an amazing God and what he can do in community? So I want to encourage you guys to not only attend in three weeks and sign up if you haven't already, but to be involved in as many groups as you possibly can be. And so many of you here are at so many different levels, whether it's a step study or, you know, a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study or one of the community groups, a way to connect better with people. And look, it may not be just what you're getting, but it may be what you're giving. that's going to be the greatest blessing of all. I want to offer you an invitation this morning, because if you're not in the community of God, then that's the first place that you have to begin. Without being in his community, remember the Godhead community of love, you don't have any hope anyway. So if you're not a Christian, you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, him coming to this earth, dying for you, being raised for you, mediating for you, coming back for you. That gospel story, if you've never embraced it, believed it, and committed to it or been immersed in Christ, we want to give you that opportunity today. The greatest step you can ever take. And then, as we've been talking about, you're going to step into a great community of believers. Maybe if you just need to be restored, renewed, have a prayer request for us, we want to give you that opportunity this morning while we stand and while we sing.